Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. My name is Kristen Harcourt and I'm your host. I'm an executive coach and professional speaker. And I created this show because I'm passionate about humanizing the workplace, transforming leaders. And from my perspective, in order to transform leaders, it starts with self-leadership. And that's about emotional intelligence, mindfulness, understanding our mindset. And as we go on that self-leadership journey, we can start to be better leaders, build better relationships with the people around us, and ultimately be able to get those business goals, achieve those workplaces that people really get excited to get up every morning. And today I have a guest that I, I was so privileged to meet. I was thinking about this, I think it was probably about four or five years ago um, through the work human community, uh, because we're both really passionate about this mission. And as John and I were talking offline before we started this podcast, once you really connect in a deep way like that, we are connected forever, heart to heart. So I am really eager to introduce you to the, today's guest, who is John Baldino. John is the president of Humoriso. John has over 25 years of HR experience. He's an international keynote speaker. He's won several awards. And John really encourages companies to pursue excellence and passion through their talent usage, organizational design, and culture. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you so much for having me, Kristen. So good to be here. We were talking about the fact that we get to normally see each other at least once a year and we're missing the hug. So I'm giving you yeah. a hug right now online and we're giving hugs to everybody right now in the world who is listening yes. to this podcast because, you know, we're into 2021, but it's still there's tough things happening in the world and we're thinking about everybody. Yes, 100% true. So John, as a starting point, I would love for the, the audience to get a chance to get to know you better. Um, as an HR professional, you've been in this work, you're passionate about the work. What really brought you into this? Tell me a little bit around your journey. What brought you into HR? And as well, you as a president now, having a lot of people working with you as a team, um, talk to me a little bit more about that journey. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so it has been a long time, right, that I've been in HR. And it's, uh, it's funny, because I don't know that I, I really had clarity, right early on that I was either going to be in this profession for a long time, or that it really was a profession, quite frankly. Um, so I, I, uh, I got involved because early on, I thought uh, training was the route for me to go. I'm really um, thoughtful about how people receive information. So it seemed to me that this sort of teaching training track was the right route for me to go. Um, funny enough, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you. For the first couple of years after I graduated college, I actually taught junior high uh, and uh, sixth, seventh and eighth grade uh, in a, in a uh, rough neighborhood. And uh, <laughs> it was great, but um, I still was doing and at nighttime to make ends meet, uh, I still was doing training work for with adults, right? So I was doing adult learning at night and, and adolescent learning in the day. And I really found that um, the adult learning was a bit more where my heart was. And so that just kept me in the HR space. Uh, I know for some organizations, it might be uh, unusual to hear this, but you know, there was a time that training was sort of a, an, of HR. Some of you may be just used to it being a completely separate d 
department division within your organization, not always the case. And, uh, and so through that sort of training curriculum development, then moved into leadership development, then moved into the, you know, included some of the blocking and tackling of HR. And I got to work for some fantastic organizations and do a lot of that work. Um, I had the opportunity to be very um, hands-on and be given a lot of rope um, to try things. Uh, and that's, uh, that just met me where I live, right? I, I like to try to get my hands dirty and, and I messed up, you know, along the way for sure. Um, but, but it, it kind of taught me, right? What I needed to do differently moving forward, particularly when it comes to the human dynamic, um, because you can't, you can develop the best curriculum in the world, for example, put the best policies into place. And, you know, that people actually have to read them and follow them and do exactly what I think they should do. And when they don't, what's wrong with them? Well, sometimes it might be, I was too narrow, right? In the way in which I put it together. So, and now that I have Humoriso and it's been over eight years already with Humoriso. I mean, can you believe that? Um, it is awesome. Great staff. We're doing great work across the country. Uh, lots of organizations that we're getting to impact. Uh, it's very similar conversations to, to I know what we're going to talk about as, as this goes on with uh, organizational leaders um, and, and those that are in all kinds of industries, but are also at different levels of an organizational uh, growth trajectory. So we've got some that are real, real startups. They've just gotten their first round of seed money and starting to put things together through organizations that are tens of thousands of employees, well-established. But some of the conversations with leadership, they're kind of the same, right? The scope may be a little different, but the conversations are kind of the same. So um, it's really nice to be able to have the freedom to engage with people at that level. So we're, we're pumped at Humoriso. I mean, we're really privileged to do the kind of work we're doing today. I love that you get an opportunity to be with the different types of organizations too, because it can give you some variety and feel like you're making even bigger impact because you're supporting those different organizations. And I'm curious if that was part of the impetus to leave because you were working within an organization and then you get to a point where there's something, there's an itch, there's something calling you to go in more of the entrepreneurial pursuit um, and the entrepreneurial where it's not just you're an individual business owner, you're now, you're, you're growing a team and different responsibilities that show up with that. What was the impetus, the catalyst for you that decided you wanted to start Humoriso? So I had been in um, primarily the corporate world, some nonprofit for my journey, and it had been just about 22 years. And so, I don't know, I've always had this entrepreneurial bug. I mean, I, I it's so unusual, I think, in the HR sphere, right, to have, uh, I, I wasn't really encouraged, the entrepreneurial piece. It was, well, if you're going to leave, go open this other kind of, you know, tactile business. Um, it was weird to think about doing consulting and listen. And, and again, for those who've not heard my story before, I'm from Philadelphia. And so, it, you know, I was the, the first in my family to go to college. Uh, it was it, I, my frame of reference um, all around me was limited. It doesn't mean 
educationally they were limited. It just was a path that was very new. And so my parents couldn't even say, well, when I was in college, this is, you know, this is the way they, they worked right away when they graduated high school. And so um, I think as I look at, at you know, the, the reasons why I wasn't hundred percent sure that Humorisa was gonna be the next step. Um, I gave my 30 days notice at, at my last corporate role at, at a national bank. And I, I remember talking to my wife saying, I think this is what I'm gonna do. By the way, this was after I gave my 30 day notice. Uh, little hint, if you want a better marriage, probably talk to her before you, you give your notice instead of coming home and saying, guess what I did today? Um, <laughs> but she's great. And I knew she was going to be supportive, but yeah, communication, you know. Um, and uh, and so she was like, okay, this is what you think we should test out. Let's test it out. And and I will tell you that for me, I'm, I'm a, I pay attention to to the environment, to signs, um, what's happening around me. And so I left my, my role on July 31st, 2012. And I had breakfast with the business owner on August 1st, 2012. Still not 100% exactly sure what I was doing next. And I started to share with this business owner what I was, my plan was. And before I left, he said, oh, okay, can I sign up? I'd like your help. And, and, I, and for me, I was like, okay, this may work. Like um, my, my thoughts makes sense then, right? Somebody's responding well to it. And quite frankly, um, that was it. August 1st, 2012, you know, put the company together and all the official stuff that day and and just jumped right in. Wow, wow. And, and uh, exactly where you're supposed to be. But I think it's also a reminder that it does take some courage. There's, uh, there's the not knowing how it's all gonna look. There's some unknown, there's some uncertainty and for sure, making sure that there's some support with, because um, I think one of the things as an entrepreneur yep. that sometimes people are not as familiar with is the fact that it takes a little time to ramp up. And yes. so that would have been a great indicator for you that there's some confidence built when you're just starting and someone's already asking, hey, I want to work with you. Um, but but recognizing that that ramp up period and giving yourself some some self-compassion and grace as that ramp up is happening. Yes. I mean, I, I look, I, and, and let me make sure I have right context for everybody. Uh, married, three kids, uh, a mortgage, you know, all, I, I mean, we had it like all around us. And so there were reasons to, to be nervous, scared. Right. And, and yet I, that's not a detriment, right? I think that what I would encourage for whether you start on your own business or not, in many ways is irrelevant. We all in our professional lives, I can have a whole time on personal lives as well, but in your professional life, there are gonna be scary moments, scary choices. Um, and I think at that point, it's really, you gotta dig in a bit and say, okay, what, what am I about? Let me be prepared as best as I can be. Um, you know, for me, when I started the organization, I remember telling my wife, look, we have six months to cover the mortgage and a few other things in the bank. That's what we knew we had. If we blow through it all, I, I you know, said, I'll go pour coffee um, at somewhere, right? Like I'm not proud that way. So I'll do whatever needs to happen. But um, uh, so there was, I don't want to, you know, it's not off the, off the cuff. There was some preparation, some kind of cushion, but it doesn't answer every issue. 
you know, my, I, I still, my parents are still with us. My in-laws are still with us. And so, you know, you, especially because I, I married the, the youngest, right? So my wife trying to tell her parents, oh, John, you know, left his job and you, yeah, right. Have that conversation. What, wait, what, what's he doing? What's happening? Right. That kind of, and so you're here and they're well-meaning. My parents do. Oh, really? Okay. You know, like, but, but they're supposed to respond that way because they're your folks, right? They're parents. They're supposed to express concern, but they never express concern to the level of talking me out of it. Right. And I think that's a big difference. And we can deal with that the same way. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to have to answer some questions we wish we wouldn't have to answer, but it doesn't mean we have to change our path. It doesn't, it just means walk through it, work through those answers. Maybe the path goes off to the left a little bit where you thought it was straight ahead. Okay. But, but you plowed through it. You walk through it. It's okay. Yeah. And I think it's so important what you're saying there, because it's not just about making the leap to become an entrepreneur that happens in a variety of ways, whether that's recognizing you want to go into a different industry, go into a different role, go in within the same company. And all of a sudden you are one area of the business and now you're wanting to pivot in maybe a different area of the business. So there's going to be those times where we can feel like we're been, we've been told and we've been conditioned that there's a certain path. And sometimes we might feel like we're also doing what's expected from us and what other people have done, but yeah. that might not be our path. So it's recognizing yeah. that those people who love and care about us, they can have their own uh, fears and scarcity that aren't necessarily ours to take on. Yeah. I, listen, great example. I bartended when I was in college shocking for those of you that know me sh just shocking and <laughs> and <laughs> and so the you know I remember my dad saying just just become a manager like they they love you they they actually asked me to be a manager and he's like look you're you're golden and and I appreciate what he was saying to me like there was sort of a a natural path that would have made sense for me to do that right I still would get to lead people and encourage people and train and you know teach people but that's not where my passion was I mean I'm not I, I just couldn't see myself running a place like that for the rest of my days so again I think that it's okay to be asked from a career progression standpoint why don't you what about this have you ever considered accept those questions <clears throat> but know that there's always more than one answer you know, yes, no, not now is also a great answer. People forget about that one. Yes. Um, it's just, it could be delayed, right? I don't think right now is the time, but it might be, that might be down the road. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, John, one, one question that shows up for me with all of your experience when it comes to training and adult education, I think one of the gaps that could show up in organizations is there isn't necessarily enough training and development available to leaders, um, whether that's individual contributors all of a sudden going into leadership, whether that's individuals who are already in uh, leadership roles that are continuing to work up in the organization, the challenges you might be showing up as a mid-level manager can be different than what you're showing, your, your, the challenges that are showing up as a director, VP, or the CEO. And so from your perspective, when it comes right. to training and learning and developments, um, what would you like to see more of in organizations? Where do you notice there are some gaps and patterns that you consistently see? It's a great question uh, because I think that one of the things that 
we are too flippant about is, is getting things done, right? And done has a finality to it. So often what I see in learning management is did they complete this? They watched these videos, they attended this session, uh, they, they wrote this policy, you know, they practiced and wrote this, I don't know, whatever it is that's transactional, we like to be able to look at our profile in whatever various learning management systems there are. And I'm not knocking any particular system. There's you know, a need for those things as well. And I'm supportive. So please don't send me hate, hate emails. Uh, but what I, what I see though, is we find our contentment in the completion. We miss the fact that, okay, completing something doesn't mean mastery. It doesn't mean that we've put it into practice. It doesn't mean that we can measure the impact of that. I mean, look, we could all speak to what it was like for us in our primary, elementary education, secondary education, whatever it might be, lives, right? We've taken classes, we've studied subjects and we completed it. Now what? I don't use, you know, certain things that I learned. I thought I was going to be, it's just really funny. I haven't talked about this in forever. Uh, when I was a freshman in high school, I thought I was going to be an architect. And so what a, what a not good role for me. Just <laughs> let me make sure I say that. Architects are lovely, but I don't know what I was thinking, right? And I took drafting one in my freshman year. And I, I, I was like, wow, halfway through, this is not, this is terrible. I, I don't want to do that. But I finished the work. Do I do anything with drafting today? No, no. And by the way, this was before CAD. I think there was a CAD machine in this school, but it was like locked somewhere and I never got to see it or what have you. So it, like it was old school with a pencil and writing on the sheet, like doing the whole thing. And I did the work, but I don't do anything with it now. So completing that class, what does it really do for me? What does it do for now go forward? What do, do things like that do in an organization? What does it matter that I took training on anti-harassment? What does it matter? I'm not saying that your insurance companies who I know might be listening aren't gonna be happy that you had your people go through that. But what does it do for the organization? I think, again, to come back to your question, what's missing is, is the transformative component of learning that's supposed to happen. This is about hearts and minds. And those of you who may have heard me speak before, been in training with me or what have you, I talk about hearts and minds pretty often. That's where the work has to be done. And so if you think completing some course has now, hearts and minds are good. Oh no, 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 no. Transformational work is consistent. It's constant because the challenge is always there. So. I see organizations just coming up short by thinking that their, you know, 10, 10 video series on X, once everybody goes through that, they're good. Quite frankly, why would there continue to need, need to be books written on certain subjects or more videos being done or other kinds of curriculum being done? If we already knew how to do it, we wouldn't need anything else. If we already knew how to be inclusive and equitable, we wouldn't need to continue to have materials on it. Obviously, it's because we need to be in a perpetual state of learning because we will fall back into old patterns and habits 
that are really ingrained in us. It just constantly needs attention. So organizations need to be more thoughtful about it that way to be transformative rather than just transactional. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of when we're doing the checkbox exercises, right? Whether that's a checkbox exercise for training, whether that's the checkbox exercise for performance management. I mean, I would hear so often around, oh, we need to get rid of performance management. I'm like, yeah, it's about, it's not about the yearly review. We should be having check-in conversations with our team every week, every month throughout the year and yes. real-time feedback where it starts to be an issue with exactly what you just said there is when the performance management is not transformative because what it it's happening is each person's like, all right, let me print it off. Here's the 25 sheets. Okay, you do this, you do that. I remember talking to my husband one time around that, right? It was like, literally, they're just, okay, I think you need to check this. I need to check this. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not just the exercise of checking things off. It's a dialogue. It's a conversation. And so it reminds me as you say that, it's about, and I, I, you know, I think about when I did my coaching program or when I would have gotten, when I've gotten certified on different assessment tools. Yeah. You go into the training class and you learn about it, but the mm-hmm. only way that I'm going to become competent and mastery on the tool is to have the conversations, to apply it, to be putting yep. it into practice. And guess what? Super uncomfortable, super vulnerable. And the only way you get better is through the practice. And that's why I'm such a big fan of coaching, which I I know that you are too as well, when it's actionable coaching, is that you're practicing that you have a safe space to talk about what went well, what didn't go well, and how you can continue to to make progress. And and when something doesn't work, maybe you're going to try it in a different way, but you're getting that real time feedback as well around what's working, what's not working. Yep. 100%. 100%. And co- again, as you said, I mean, I, I enjoy the coaching work that I get to do. <clears throat> and it's just, it, it's, it's always amazing in a good way, right? When you're talking to these business leaders who are experiencing their first sort of transformational win, when they feel confident, because I didn't know I had that kind of depth in me to give it away to someone else. I, I didn't know that there could be time for that or that there were resources within me to do that. I didn't know. And, and look, we all know it's busy. The world is busy. We want to get things done. As you said, check boxes. We've got things done. I think one of the, the other considerations that I try to give um, as far as like a deposit to organizations that I work with is also in the area of language. Look at the words that are being used and why we're using them. I think you gave a great example a few minutes ago about performance management, where performance management has become equal to performance appraisal. Somehow the annual appraisal is now how we define performance management, as opposed to it just being a performance appraisal. How did that language happen? How did that happen? that they've become one synonymous. It didn't used to be that way. It used to stand on its own task, not to encapsulate the entire topic. How did that happen? Well, we did it. We, we just leaned on the task annually. And because that's all we had to point to to show that we're really managing performance, it became performance management. But not having these constant conversations as you alluded to, difficult ones, encouraging ones. How about this? Difficult ones that are are also encouraging. That exists, everybody. 
all of those things together really can set the table for a full performance management consideration. Go back to the language you're using. Why are we using it? It's funny, and I'll just say this briefly. I actually uh, met with a uh, the senior leadership for an organization on Friday. Yeah, and um, you know, time is what the heck is time uh, on Friday, and um, uh, I they use the word family a lot, and I said, what what what, what do you mean family? Well, being here is like being in a family. You think everybody has a great definition of family, great experience of family? Their frame of reference is positive. Come here and be a part of the family. Besides all the legal reasons I know, right? That could be an issue, but you're drawing in people based upon their previous experience. Everybody goes through their file cabinet, right? Their schema and find all their schemata to attach things. So you say working here is like family. My family's the worst thing I've ever been a part of. Okay, let me come and be a part of the worst thing I've ever been a part of. That sounds great. Look at your language, both what you think is positive and the things that are tactical. Pull it all together, pull it all together. I think that's a really, really good distinction you just said, because that's when we start to think more about inclusion and we take our step back and ask ourselves, because just like you said, in terms of inclusion, we can't make assumptions and paint everybody with the same brush and assume yeah. that everyone's going to hear that word family and that has positive connotations for them. Um, so I think that inclus inclusion piece you just brought up is, is critical. And, and that happens through language, through, ask, sorry, through asking questions, through having more dialogue, through creating safe spaces where people can say, you know, I have to let you know, I, I don't really like when you're saying it feels like I'm part of the family because I didn't have a positive yeah. experience in my family. So that you've created those kind of workplaces where people feel comfortable coming forward and, and letting people know. Um, the other thing that really um, spoke to me was when you were talking about the resourcefulness and people recognizing the resources that they had inside them that they didn't recognize were there. And that's been my experience with every single leader I've worked with, right? They think that they're here and I help them to say, no, 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 no. I want to get you to here. There's this whole bunch of stuff here. There's this, you're at this level. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's in there in you, but they don't necessarily recognize and it's somebody else being able to reflect that back to them. And then again, being that champion as they're working yes. on things and, and being able to leverage that. Yes. And John, as you say that, I think it's a beautiful okay. segue to something I love to talk to you about and, and your insight is let's acknowledge right now we're as we're recording, we're in January and there's a global pandemic that's continuing to happen. And there can be a lot of people working remotely. And so check-ins look a little bit different. Uh, but from my perspective, I think empathy is, is such a, a, a really important piece of emotional intelligence that needs to be leveraged right now. And, and I also want to make a distinction there. Sometimes I also see with empathy, I want it to be in that sweet spot because sometimes I actually see HR leaders that are leaning too hard on empathy and actually taking on stuff yeah. and not creating space because they are really feeling so intensely what everybody else is feeling. And, and, and that starts to be damaging as well. So there's boundaries. But let's talk a little bit around when we think about management, being there as empathetic leaders and, and doing check-ins and, and having conversations. What do, you, what do you want to see more of? What, what do you think is really beneficial there? Yeah, it's great. Thank you. The, they, 
fact that there are leaders who struggle with empathy. And so the first thing I try to encourage in those leaders is, can we start with sympathy? Could you just have a consideration that someone else might be in a moment that you're not? Just be sympathetic. I appreciate that you can't put those shoes on yet to really understand. To do that as a starting point. And I say this because I think sometimes um, uh, HR folks and some others who are involved in this work want to go from zero to 60, right? Being disconnected right to empathy. Boy, that's a huge jump. Be careful, right? It's start, start with some sympathy if they haven't displayed that previously. If we can start from that uh, sympathy and then move to empathy, I would say that um, my encouragement often is um, trying to, a few things. One, we need to encourage those that are in leadership to hearken back to a time gone by. So what do I mean by that? Sometimes it's about the simplicity, right? I, I ask leaders, how many cars do you have? Well, I've got, I've got two. I have one and my spouse has one. Okay. Kids don't have any, oh, well, my kids are old. Yeah, yeah, my kids have, how, how do their kids get those cars? Well, I help them with the deposit. I do. Okay, and they start going through how many houses? Oh, you have a beach house. Okay, da, 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 da. Okay, when you graduated college, let's say, what did you have? Oh, I, we had one car, you know, it was beat up. It was, and they smile so often. They're remembering nostalgically, even though it may have been a nightmare then, their facial expression changes, right? And I say, why are you smiling? Oh, because it was, we had a good time. It was simpler then. I didn't have as much going on. I didn't have as many bills. I didn't have as many, fill in the blank, right? I didn't have as much responsibility. Okay, great. Sit in that for a second. You're remembering it with this huge smile on your face, right? That it was a, it was a time gone by and you had some crazy times, then it was fun. Why are you giving the staff that are working for you who are in that similar season of life right now, such a hard time? Don't you want them to smile about this in years to come the way that you are? What, why, why do you get to smile about the struggle when you look back? Why are you denying them the opportunity as well? Life's already hard. I remember, look, I have my, my car, the whole um, metal, at the bottom of the car behind the brake and the gas pedal, rotted through, I could see the street as I was driving. I mean, that's no joke, right? That's how I, but that I had such a good time with that vehicle, like so many memories and oh, do I want that now? No, let me be real clear. I don't want that now, I get it. But, but I, I smile, right? And so sometimes drawing back to the memories of those senior leaderships that you're work, senior leadership that you're working with, when you get to those nostalgic memories, that's usually a safe spot to help people tap into something that has moved their heart, yeah. right? And to say, okay, how you feel right now, isn't that a, do you feel a warmth? This isn't ushy gushy. That's, there's a physiology to it, right? So your people are going through some stuff right now and it may not yet be a warm feeling for them. It could be pretty tense. Because while I can look back on the vehicle with no bottom, um, with nostalgic happiness now, I didn't then when it was pouring 
and all the water was coming through and I was trying to get to work and my, the bottom half of my legs were just soaked. I, I, I wasn't smiling then. And when my car needed to have a transmission and, and it, I knew it was cheaper to get the transmission than to get a new car because I couldn't afford it. Uh, it wasn't happy then, but I can smile back on it now. Be empathetic to remember where you've come from, right? And if you haven't come from that, I'm not asking you to apologize for that. I'm asking you, tell me what it was like in your first job. Tell me what it was like when you got cut from the baseball team. Tell me what it was like when you got dumped on Valentine's Day. Tell me what, and I'm not asking you to cry, although I have to say I get a, I get a hard time from my staff because usually after the first or second meeting with somebody coaching, there's, there's tears for sure. And, and it's because I, I think it's important to get to the heart, not to make someone feel badly, but to remind them that they're human and the condition that they're experiencing right now is something that others are. And you mentioned the pandemic. I'm, I'm fortunate in that there hasn't been anyone super close to me that I've lost because of COVID. I've had people get it and get sick, but have recovered. I have not lost anyone directly but I know what it's like to lose someone to disease, to something that was outside of, of control, their control. So I can draw on that as I talk to someone who comes to tell me my, my husband didn't make it. My husband didn't make it. And my response ought not to be, well, I'm so sorry to hear that. As you know, for your spouse, you can have seven days of bereavement. That, what, I mean, really? <laughs> Can't you say, let me close this door for a second. Right, I'll get emotional now and just weep. They're broken. You don't remember what it was like to be broken at points in your life? It is possible for us to tap into that. Now, here's my however, because I think you brought up a great point. My however is you're not a therapist. So the point is not to take them to that spot to say, let me fix you. That's not what this is about. It's about, let me remind you. Remind and fix are two different things. You ought to be astute enough. And if you're not, there are there definitely is some training on this. If you're not astute enough to know the difference, get that clarity. I tell people all the time when, when I start coaching, our conversations are going to feel therapeutic and that's okay, but I am not a therapist. And when I know that you're going to a place, I'm gonna make a recommendation of another person for you to talk to as well. You and I can keep doing the coaching thing, but I'm gonna have somebody else that'll help you with this area that will need a little bit more therapeutic consideration than I'm trained to give. That's okay to say as well. I mean, I was just moved hearing you talk, Ron, and uh, I don't think anybody listening here uh, to this conversation right now would not be moved. And I, I think it, you did such a great job of helping people understand that we can all connect to ourselves in that way. We all have our hearts. You know, sometimes people say, oh, they're all in their head. They're just linear thinkers. They don't have the empathy. And that's the beauty of emotional intelligence. We all have it. It's there. It's just sometimes we have to take off the layers or as Brene Brown would say, take down the armor because we put it up there to protect ourselves for 
a myriad of reasons. And so for some people, you know, they heard conditioning over the time that to, to feel is weak. And so it's just helping. No, no, there's nothing weak about feeling and to, to be there and to be present for another human being. And, and I love what you said there. This isn't about fixing. This is about space and being present and acknowledging and making that person feel seen and heard for whatever they're experiencing in that moment. And we can all learn how to pause and stop in that way. And and the examples you gave were really, really good to to help each of us. There's different ways that we can tap into it and come back to that place. Yes, absolutely. It's heavy, you know, and I mean, you know this about me, but for the sake of other people, I mean, I am an emotional person, right? But I know as well, when when it, I have to be thoughtful about it to the point of, okay, I can't go that far because I, I don't want to become so involved in someone's life that I'm, I'm, I'm an emotional crutch or emotionally unhealthy for that person. That's not what we need to be about. But we also have to get comfortable with telling our story because that sets a tone for those around us as well. You know, my, my oldest child, my son, I was 21, gosh, he's 21. And uh, um, he had severe scoliosis. And for five and a half years, he wore a back brace for 20 hours a day. And it didn't fix him. It didn't fix him. He needed a, a two surgeries and, and has two titanium rods in his, for his spine now, basically. Look, I went, so when I am talking to uh, colleagues, business owners, senior leaders. I know I'm not the only one who's experienced fear about a child's health or concern about um, what will the repercussions be? How will he live? What will this mean for my life now? Will he need constant care? Will, right? I, I can travel that road because of my own experience. I hope not everybody has that experience. That's not the point, but draw back on those things so that now when someone comes into me and they talk about the fact that here's what's going on at home, I don't know how to make this all work. I can tap into what I remember and recall for that season. And I, let me just make sure I say, Frankie is great. He's healthy. He's in his last year of college, I think. And, and so <laughs> like, it, he's good. But it doesn't mean that I didn't travel that road. Remember those moments and allow them to be applicable to what you're dealing with today in a healthy context. Yeah, so important. And, and, and recognizing that people, until you get to that trust and they're sharing what's going on, you might have no idea what someone is experiencing at home, right? Whether that's for some, it can be, you know, the person that their significant other in the relationship at home, they're not used to being with each other 24 seven, and they're having a tough time working through those. There's so many different complexities of things that we're experiencing. And so to, to just really pause and recognize that. Um, as we were starting to get close to the end of this conversation, which I knew, John, it was going to be hard, um, <laughs> but I want to, I want to give you an opportunity to, to also reflect and, and share when you start to think about organizations going forward, whether that be for 2021 or you know for the next five years, 10 years and aspirationally, mm. what would you like to see more of in organizations? 
yeah, big question, right? Um, I, but I would say uh, probably a couple of things come to mind. First, I think that organizations have to do a better job of being honest about culture. Uh, too, too many organizations think that their culture is something. And I don't want to minimize it in terms of saying that it doesn't matter. But what I mean is give it the right context. Uh, because what winds up happening still in organizations is we, we talk about cultural fit for people in a way that is non-inclusive at times, even unintentionally. Um, and honestly, it's also limiting from a profitability standpoint. Why, why would you not have that innovation and creativity from a variety of angles come in and be a part of what you're doing because you have some sort of protection around your culture. If an, if an organism is supposed to evolve and grow, an organization is very similar. So I would love to see that happen. And I think it needs to be more than just, we're politically woke. And now, now I'm gonna get grief, but it has to be more than just politically woke. That's not enough. It's not enough of a reason, right? It has to be about the human condition. What is it that we're doing to bring people forward in a way that's going to inspire them educationally, inspire them in their own um, personal development? Because there are things that people will learn at work that they take home with them, make no mistake about it. So it, it, we do have a responsibility to be more thoughtful around the, about the individual. And then the other thing that comes to mind for organizations is cohesion. How do we look at organizations in a way that brings cohesiveness internally with the staff that you have. And, and that does not mean fun and games, though that's fine to have some of that, but cohesion is much more than just, did we have a happy hour? It is, what are we doing to sort of tap in to, to know what our people bring to the table? How do we feed off of one another that way for the uplift of each person there, right? That's going to bring natural cohesion and that will then spill over into the way, which this may be different for some folks, how to be cohesive with the customers, clients, other businesses that we work with. Because there's something there that we can inspire those folks, those veins of reality that we deal with on a daily basis to that same consideration for cohesion. I want to understand from my clients what's good, what's not good, more than just sending out a survey monkey. It, I need to be able to have that kind of cohesive dialogue with them where all parties are safe. If you want to tell me that we're really stinking it up, okay, tell me why, help me understand. It doesn't mean that I can solve for everything and I want to tell you that. I love the four points you brought up. Two of them, I don't know that I'm going to be able to get to because of this, this, and this, but I hear you and I want to make sure I affirm that. That's Even that will change the dynamic of that client relationship, right? So I, I think I would encourage organizations to be thoughtful both about culture and cohesion um, in the next few years in particular. I think it's actually gonna wind up being a business differentiator um, and your talent acquisition is going to change as a result of that. People are gonna be drawn to organizations that are thoughtful about those areas. Mm, I 100% I, I agree with everything that you shared there. Um, and especially uh, you and I are both passionate around what it looks like in, in terms of inclusion, diversity, yep. equity, um, 
and belonging. And so as we start to get to the end today, I want to give you an opportunity to leave your final thought. And your final thought can be maybe anything you haven't been able to share today that's that's on your heart and your minds. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, thank you. Because that, you know, that's my thing, right? It's about consider the heart and the mind. I think, you know, one of the things that I, I thought about all, all morning, right, in, in prep for our time today, which again, thank you so much for asking me to be a part of this. Um, I, I think we have also categorized when I talked about language previously, we've allowed leadership to be positional too much. For some types of organizations, we really allow that to become the banner of worth um, is my position. And, you know, I, I'll be very old school for a minute. I still believe that leadership um, has a, a, a centrality to it that's about influence. And I, you can be the person who's mopping the floors rather than the CEO and have um, a, a world's worth of influence in that organization because your consistency, your, your willingness, um, your um, uh, dependability really sets a tone um, that allows you to have a voice. And in all of my years of being involved um, in the, with the HR umbrella, um, I can't tell you how many um, stakeholders that I've had involved in various projects, pilots, think groups that did not hold a title of perceived worth, but the individual had such worth and such influence that their leadership was necessary for the health of whatever it was we were working on. I wanna make sure everybody listening is encouraged to know, don't worry about your title. Don't worry about your title. Pick the titles that matter the most to you. I'm president of Humoriso and I'm grateful for the work that I have. But for me, being a dad, that title trumps president of Humoriso every day of the week, every day of the week. And so what does that do for the way in which I lead at Humoriso? I'm, I'm more heartfelt because I know what it means to be a dad. I'm grateful that the three young adults that I have are as well balanced as they are, probably because of mom much more than me, but I'll take a little credit. And, and that drives my consideration so that I don't put all my self-worth into this title of today, president. I may not always be president of Humoriso. That's okay. Come back to the center, right? And of where you find influence and where you give influence, that's most important. Thank you for sharing that because that's something that I've expressed since the beginning of starting this podcast. Inspirational leadership does not mean that you have to be leader by title. I believe every single one of us have a choice about showing up every day as a leader. And to me, that's around who we're being and what's that impact we want to make. And, and, and just like you said, as we start to get even more aligned with our values and what matters most to us, we're showing up as a leader in our life and those things that matter most. And, and through doing that, we're leading by example and modeling that to others, how, how beautifully you and your wife have modeled that to your kids. And so you're showing up as a leader every day, whether you have kids or it doesn't matter if you have kids. I have lots of clients who have nieces and nephews and children on the street, like children, because we're part of a community. There's It's the global children. We're all here having opportunity to, to leave a legacy and impact that next generation based on how we show up as humans. Absolutely. Absolutely.
I think this is a beautiful place to, to end today's podcast. And uh, John, just we're going to have show notes, but where can people find more about you? Thank you. Uh, of course, you know, feel free to visit humoreso.com, uh, H-U-M-A-R-E-S-O.com. Lots of info there. You know, look me up on LinkedIn. Um, I love being on Twitter. JB Alive is my handle if you're looking for me. Um, yeah, those areas probably are the easiest ways to find me. Yes, John is somebody that you want to know. And uh, I highly suggest that you connect with them anywhere on social media. Um, thank you so much for being on the show today, John. Thank you. Are you kidding? I really enjoyed this. Thank you for asking me. Thank you. And for everybody who's listening in, please come to the website to learn more. You'll see other episodes. And if you're interested in learning more about one-on-one -on -one coaching, coaching for yourself, for your organization, or training around a lot of the things we talked about today, uh, work on emotional intelligence and helping your leaders to be the best versions of themselves, um, learn more at kristenharcourt.com. And I'd love to have a conversation. No matter where you are in the world, this morning, afternoon, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, we are sending love your way.